What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We got week one in the books. Well, almost in the books. I am recording this on Monday before the Monday games, so I'm not going to be able to give you guys analysis on those two games, but I do have all the analysis on all the way from Thursday, which is where we're going to start with Houston and Kansas City, all the way through the Sunday night games. That's all coming at you guys today. It's Tuesday morning. I'm going to give you guys guys waiver tips all that stuff it's gonna be a good one i also have some victory laps i'm gonna run i know it's only week one so i'm only talking week one victory laps um waiver pickups like i said i'm gonna give you guys the results from the situations to monitor that we talked about on thursday and i'm gonna give you guys some buy lows sell highs and really just some recaps from the games i'm not gonna try and be too extensive but i want to be able to give you guys an insight into all the games because I know most of us are not able to watch every single game. I was pretty close to doing so and uh, I feel like I have a pretty good yet quick summary on every game and you know some things that will help us going forward moving forward in fantasy this year and we're going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans. Obviously the Chiefs were going to win that game right The one thing that was super surprising to me and probably surprising to all of us was how many carries Clyde Edwards Hilaire got. He got 25 carries on the game. Now, we definitely wish he got used more in the receiving game. He only got two targets, and none of them were caught. One, he got blown up, lit up completely. I thought he was going to be hurt, uh, but he's a tough guy. He got right up, continued the game, and you know he averaged five and a half yards per carry, and he had a great touchdown run. He shows why people label him as you know being able to make somebody miss in a phone booth because He is just super shifty. He might not be the fastest. He might not be the strongest, but he will make you miss. And he knows how to stay on his feet. He has good contact balance. And he's just a really good running back that's perfect for their offense. And I think anybody that was, you know, worried about Clyde and thinking that he's not going to be worth a first round pick was honestly overthinking it. Now, you guys know me. You guys know I loved Clyde. And I was on the Clyde side of the Clyde versus JT debate. For dynasty as the RB1 because of, you know, the fact he has Mahomes. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be for Indy. Um, and Clyde also gets the receiving, which is interesting, which is something we're going to talk about when we get to Indy because Jonathan Taylor actually got most of the receiving um, in that game. He had six receptions off six targets and Clyde didn't have any tar- uh, any receptions. He did have the two targets. So, But other things that we saw in the Kansas City game was, you know, right at the start of the game, I was slightly, slightly interested to see how Daryl Williams was going to get used. And he was getting the third down work over Clyde. And over time, through the game, Clyde ended up being on the field on third down. So I'm not worried about Daryl Williams at all. Also, Clyde was in on all red zone situations. So he's locked and loaded. He's definitely going to finish as an RB1. And honestly, he has the RB1 potential, especially if the receptions start coming his way, which I have no worries about. It was Week one, they had a positive game script. They were running all over the Texans. They really had no reason to throw or even get him involved in the passing game. So, you know, Mahomes only threw the ball 32 times. The running backs as a whole only pulled in four targets. So I'm not really too worried about Clyde's usage going forward in that department. We also had David Johnson. He looked really good. 
Um, honestly, he looked like the David Johnson of old, but a lot of people forget that's how he looked at the beginning of last year too. He was a top five running back through the first five weeks of the season last year with Arizona, and he looked fine. Then he started, you know, getting worse. And another thing that worries us about David Johnson is injury history. So for me, David Johnson is a pretty good sell high right now. Do I think that he has potential to continue doing what he's doing and be like a back-end RB1? Yeah, he does. But if you can get a return somewhere near that, like, for example, a Kenyon Drake who had a rough game versus the 49ers or anybody like that, that should have that, you know, back-end RB1 potential locked in, then I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to take that trade and I'm going to ship off David Johnson now because he holds a lot of risk in terms of getting injured. So David Johnson is somebody that I'm looking to sell high if I can. Duke Johnson, you guys know I loved him as a late round pick, and if you guys employed the Thrifty Thursday trick, which I always talk about, and I'm always going to continue to talk about every Thursday, um, and this this week it's going to be, you know, with the Browns and Bengals coming up, so it's going to be like grab Gio, Gio Bernard, Auden Tate in case like AJ Green goes down and whatnot, but Duke Johnson, he was getting a decent workload to start. It looked like a 60-40 split between him and David Johnson. And then as the game continued, this is before Duke Johnson got hurt. As the game continued, Duke Johnson got faded out and David Johnson was just pretty much getting everything. So I think that, you know, even when Duke Johnson comes back healthy, he's not really worth a hold. He's not really going to be a good flex play as much as I thought. I thought he was going to be utilized more while healthy. And then obviously he got injured and then David Johnson just completely ran the rest of the game. And um, yeah, so that's what I got on Duke, David Johnson, Clyde, that's the running backs. Now we can move over to the receivers and quarterbacks. I'm going to start with Deshaun Watson because a lot of people like to take him. They think, you know, the fact that Hopkins is gone, he's going to have to carry the offense, that that could be a good thing for fantasy football. I don't, I never really understood that. How could Deshaun Watson benefit in fantasy football from losing DeAndre Hopkins? Like if it makes him run more, Okay, sure, that that's good, but that also raises his injury risk, and he's not going to be nearly as efficient in the passing game. So it's going to kind of counteract each other. It's going to, if anything, even out, if not be worse for him that he lost Hopkins. So I never really understood that. And then when you watch the game, clearly that offensive line is still not great. And Deshaun Watson, there's one thing that you know he definitely needs to work on, and that's keeping his eyes downfield when he's running. Every time he escaped the pocket, every time he tried to avoid a sack, and he once he leaves the pocket, he's not looking down the field. So many times I was like, dude, look, you got Duke Johnson right there on a post route open. You got Will Fuller right there open. And he's just, you know, he's got his head down. He's worried about not getting tackled, which, I mean, it's a very hard thing to do. There's not many quarterbacks that do it well. Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes are the best at it. Aaron Rodgers is still very good at it. Um, he's not nearly as athletic getting out of the pocket, but when he does so, as we saw, and as we'll talk about in, you know, today's podcast, he had a great game and he's still able to do that as well. So that's something that Deshaun Watson worries me on because it, it kind of limits his big play ceiling and it's going to hurt Will Fuller a little bit. Maybe he does it more often now too, because it's easy to look up for Hopkins. Hopkins is always going to be there for you. Will Fuller's not on that level. Nope, really, there's barely anybody in the league on that level. So Deshaun Watson, to me, I'm just trying to get rid of him. Um, like he he he's gonna be good for fantasy, but the risk, just like David Johnson, the risk of him getting injured or anybody in his offense, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, any of those guys get injured, and it just lowers Watson's potential. So Watson's somebody I'm I'm trying to sell high if I can. And then the other thing to talk about is Will Fuller. 
And also Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, but there's not much to say on those guys. If you look at, you know, what they did in the game, Will Fuller had 10 targets, whereas Brandon Cooks only had five, Randall Cobb had three. Randall Cobb was not really involved most of the game. Brandon Cooks, he was hurt, so maybe he gets better, yes. But honestly, it was Will Fuller, and that's it. It was the Will Fuller show. You know, nobody got more than five targets after Will Fuller, who had 10. He had eight receptions for 112 yards. He didn't have a touchdown, and he turned in a 20, almost 20-point 20 fantasy performance in PPR. It was 19.2. Will Fuller is a great wide receiver while healthy. Now, there are a few guys that we're going to talk about later that are bylows that I would, wouldn't would mind trading Fuller for, like, for example, a Tyler Boyd. But you guys also know how much I love Tyler Boyd. And I knew he was going to have a bad game this week, which we'll get to. Um, so don't freak out about that. But with all that said, I just want to point out that I have my um, thread on Twitter. It's called the Week 1 Informative Thread. You guys can go check that out. It has like little notes, news and notes on, on all the games, things that you could take away. It's super easy to find. It's I have it pinned you know, at the top of my, my page on Twitter. So go check that out. And I'm also using that right now to go over my you know, summaries. I also have highlights. I have Clyde's, all of Clyde's touches, highlights, David Johnson highlights in that thread as well. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and move in to New England, Miami. It was a fun game to watch. I'm not going to lie. There were there was not that many big plays, but I loved watching Cam Newton under Bill Belichick playing for the Patriots. It was pretty entertaining. And one thing that was pretty crazy, Cam Newton only threw the ball 19 times. So obviously we didn't expect him to be throwing a lot. They still have a, a decent defense. It was an easy matchup. So yeah, Cam Newton was not going to throw a lot. But the fact that they ran the ball 42 times, Cam Newton ran the ball 15 times. Michelle was the lead running back at 10, and then Burkhead got carries, J.J. Taylor got carries, James White got carries, and Julian Edelman even got a carry. So they were just grinding the ball out versus Miami. They ended up winning 21-11. Oh, also, real quick, man, you guys remember when I, I called that game, that Kansas City game? I was saying 34-17. I was so close. It was 34-20. Um, I was super close on hitting that line exactly, but it was still the under, so that helped out. And anyways, sorry, back to the game, <laughs> back to the Patriots game. Um, some takeaways for me is that Cam Newton, as long as he's healthy, he's a locked and loaded top 12 quarterback. Um, the thing is, though, he's not going to get 15 carries every single game. He had 75 yards off them, two rushing touchdowns. I did talk about, I don't remember if this was on the podcast or if I was just tweeting about this, that Cam Newton has potential in this offense to break the record for rushing touchdowns for a quarterback because Cam Newton has already always been one of those guys that is very high in that department. Now he goes to Bill Belichick who per perfectly schemes offenses around his players and Brady was, you know, running in, not necessarily running, um, but he was taking quarterback sneaks into the end zone like three, four times in some years. Cam Newton is the best guy to do that. Plus, as much as they run him, he could easily turn in like a, a double-digit rushing touchdown season. He's already on pace right now for 32, which obviously that's not going to continue. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets 12 rushing touchdowns, 16 rushing touchdowns, and he definitely has a chance to break that record. Sony Michelle is the clear RB1 for them, in my opinion. He got the most carries. He got the touchdown. And, you know, he's just going to be their guy, even if he's not as good as some other guys. You know, Burkhead had a higher yards per carry, so did James White. You know, Michelle was actually their least efficient, their least efficient running back, but he still led that team in carries. While Damian Harris is on IR, it's probably going to stay that way. Maybe it changes when Damian Harris comes back. But for me, the only real fantasy players in 
New England that I'm touching is Cam Newton. And I mean, in deep leagues, I, I'm still interested in, in Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman. But really, it's just going to be Cam Newton for me all season. Because the fact that they only threw the ball 19 times, Cam Newton's going to throw the ball way less than Tom Brady threw the ball. So that's already less pass volume to go around. Plus, Cam Newton's not nearly as efficient of a thrower as Tom Brady. So that really hurts Edelman. And that's something I wanted to talk about. Edelman got seven targets. He led the receiving core in targets, five receptions, 57 yards. Not a horrible day, you know, just over double digits in PPR. But I would be surprised if, you know, he turns in a top 24 wide receiver season because they still have a decent decent defense you know they still have Gilmore they still have a pretty much the same D-line is returning and they also have Bill Belichick calling their their plays and you know making that defense way better than it should be based off the names there so they're always going to be in positive game scripts or pretty close to it they're not going to have to pass the ball a lot at all I'm pretty worried on Julian Julian Edelman usually I don't overreact too much on week one Um, usually, you know, there's a lot of people that start really bad or start really good. And that's not what continues the rest of the season. I am somebody that always is preaching not to overreact to week one, but there's always a couple names that, you know, there are certain things that are writing on the wall. And I think that we might see that for Julian Edelman this year. You know, he's also getting older. His injury risk is there because of that. And even while he's on the field, he's not going to get the same volume or the same efficiency as he did with Brady. And, you know, with Brady, he was barely a top 24 the past couple of years. So I'm not not too uh, keen on Julian Edelman this season. Then Nikhil Harry was the other guy to watch. We really wanted to see, you know, what was the chemistry like between Cam Newton and Nikhil Harry. We all heard all over the place, including myself, saying, you know, Cam Newton likes those big guys like he did with Kelvin Benjamin, Devin Funches. Is he going to like Nikhil Harry the same way? Nikhil Harry did pull in six targets, five receptions off those six targets. So he did do pretty good, except he did fumble at the goal line. That might put him in Belichick's doghouse. That's, you know, it's something that's very worrisome to me. And he's still worth he's still worth a deep stash, but he's not somebody in, you know, 10 team leagues or 12 team leagues with like six person benches that I'm going to roster. He's also a drop for me. So really, overall, for the Patriots, Cam Newton is the guy. Now let's talk about Miami. It's going to be real quick. Fitzpatrick was horrible. He threw three interceptions. Um, I am really just like not touching... Um, the running backs there because Miles Gaskins or Miles Gaskin, who knew that he was going to be the, the lead running back? He got nine attempts to Jordan Howard's eight. He was way better with them. Jordan Howard was horrible, even though he got the touchdown. Um, his Jordan Howard's longest run was four yards. Four yards. Gaskin had a 10 yarder. Matt Braid had a seven yarder. Even Fitzpatrick had a 12 yarder. So Howard is, you know, he's somebody that I didn't draft anywhere for good reason. And that looks like I was spot on. Jordan Howard, I'm not touching. He's a drop to me. Miles Gaston, you could pick him up if you're in like 14 team leagues with or like a league with 10 person benches, but really I'm not touching him. Breda, I'm kind of worried on. I was preaching, you know, Breda is a good late round draft pick because of his receiving and he should be used in the receiving game. But it was Miles Gaskin who was used in the receiving game. Four targets, four receptions, 26 yards. And Breda had zero targets. So that was like baffling to me the fact of how Breda was not used at all and he's definitely the best running back on their team Breda's always been efficient he was still pretty efficient 4.4 yards per carry same as Gaskin and um yeah I was just I was just like completely surprised by that so I'm not touching any of the running backs there if you did draft Breda 
much like I did in many leagues. I'm going to hold them. I'm going to wait another week or two because it was a tough matchup. And I want to see if they were happy with what Gaskin put out on the field and they're going to just keep him as the lead back or what's going on there. So I don't want to drop anybody abruptly yet. So if you have Breda, keep him. But I do think Jordan Howard is worth a drop. I was never impressed with him this offseason or ever thought he was going to be fantasy relevant in the first place. And then we have the receivers, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. Preston Williams led the team by far in targets. He had seven. Gasicki was then at five, and Parker only had four. Parker did have the better fantasy day because he had more receptions. But when I was watching the game, Preston Williams, I mean, he had a lot of opportunities. I think they're going to come. They're going to get better. He's going to have easier matchups. And one thing that I I was really thinking was going to happen was Stephon Gilmore was going to just stick on Parker the whole game. That's how it had been in the past. This week, when I was watching that game, I saw Gilmore on Preston Williams a couple times. So that could be part of the reason why Preston Williams struggled. Parker also struggled, but he was four for four on his four targets. He just didn't get targeted much. So Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, I'm holding both of them. I think it's going to get better for them because one of two things is going to happen. Fitzpatrick is going to get better. He's going to let it rip as he always does, and they're going to have plenty of opportunities to be good for fantasy. Or Fitzpatrick's going to get pulled, Tua's going to come in, and Tua will at least be better than what Fitzpatrick was last week. So I'm holding both those receivers. Then we can go ahead and move into the indie game. Woo! What did I tell you guys? I told you guys Minshew was the dude. Minshew mania, alive and well. That's a, I, I got to take the victory lap. I have to. I have to take the victory lap on Gardner Minshew. Not the season, not the seasonal victory lap, even though I could be obnoxious and take that one too and be like, I told you he's going to be top 12. He threw three touchdowns. He was 19 of 20. Ooh, great. I am so, so ecstatic and happy with the outcome of that game. And what am I actually taking the victory lap for? I tweeted out, and I'm sure most of you guys follow me on Twitter, so you probably saw it. I tweeted out, Gardner Minshew is going to give, or... Let me actually I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I'm pretty sure this was the way I worded it. I said, I can't wait for Gardner Minshew to give the Colts and the Jaguars front office a fat L in week one. And that's exactly what happened. Jacksonville beat the Colts 27-20. He stuck it to the Jaguars front office. You guys ain't getting Trevor Lawrence. We already got one more win than everybody projected because everyone was projecting us for the first overall pick. That's not going to happen. And Minshew... Whew, I told you guys, I told you a whole offseason, a whole offseason of being the starter and coming out with the chips on his shoulder that he's going to have. I told you he was going to come out on fire. And he th- this is even crazier. He did it without DJ Chark. I mean, DJ Chark was three for three and had a touchdown. So Chark was good, but he was spreading the ball around like crazy. And he only threw the ball 20 times. So he didn't over target anybody. There was no like concern about oh what if that person gets covered is Minshew going to be able to be stopped no he didn't run like crazy he only ran for 19 yards no touchdowns and he still turned in a 20 point fantasy game off 20 passes and basically no running guys the ceiling is there for my boy Gardner Minshew and I'm telling you if you didn't draft him and you didn't listen to me your boy Brandon here at deep dive fantasy football You should have, and hopefully he's on your waiver if you didn't draft him, because I know most people were low on him. Please pick him up. As long as you have the, you know, if you don't have Lamar or Mahomes or Kyler or Dak or Russ, if you don't have one of those five, pick up Gardner Minshew and put him on your bench. And even if you have one of those guys, if you have a deep bench, pick him up. Minshew is going to be good, and, you know, he's going to have to throw a lot more than 20 times in most games. So he doesn't have to be nearly as efficient, and he'll probably be able to run the ball more. 
So I love Gardner Minshew. I had to take that victory lap. I'm sorry if you think it's obnoxious, but that's a call I've been saying all offseason. And I mean, let's go. Let's go, boys. Then we got waiver pickups in this game. We got Naheem Hines, who was great. I think Naheem Hines is basically what we were hoping Chris Thompson was going to be, except, you know, with better touchdown upside. So Naheem Hines is great. He turned in. Um, actually, I have the stat page right in front of me. He only had seven carries, but he had a touchdown on the carries. And then he was really utilized in the receiving game. He was their leading receiver. He had eight receptions, 45 yards, and a touchdown. So Naheem Mines, I like him a lot. And now that Marlon Mack has gotten hurt and is declared out for the season, which is super rough, you don't ever want to see that. Um, I feel bad for the guy. I feel for him for sure. But it opens the door wide open for Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor to be the one-two punch that just takes over this backfield. Jonathan Taylor, I told you guys we were going to talk about him earlier when we were talking about Clyde. For some reason, him and Clyde completely switched roles. What was the narrative? And I still think this is the narrative, by the way, 100%. It's just funny and weird week one nonsense, basically, that's going on right now. But the narrative was Clyde's not going to get that as many carries. He's going to be used in the receiving game. Jonathan Taylor's going to get mad carries, and he's not going to be used much in the receiving game. Jonathan Taylor had six targets, six receptions, 67 yards. Clyde had two targets, no receptions. And then Clyde had 25 carries. Jonathan Taylor only had nine. Marlon Mack only had four. So even if Marlon Mack wasn't in that game and you gave them all to Jonathan Taylor, he's only getting 13 carries. So super weird, super weird game honestly, for the Colts. But I do think the the door's wide open right now for Jonathan Taylor. I think you can lock him in now as an RB2 that Marlon Mack is done for the season. Jonathan Taylor's probably eclipsing 250 yards, but there's one thing I have to say. And I've been telling people, mainly Colts fans, you guys got to like relax on the hype on Phillip Rivers. He's not nearly as good as you think. He's not really even an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, and I'm pretty sure I said that on a podcast, so most of you guys probably remember me saying so. Um, Phillip Rivers, you know, he he throws ducks, man. Like, he, he doesn't have the zip on any of his balls. You could see it on his interception. It's just like, a f- it's just like floated out there. He doesn't have any pocket mobility anymore. He, like, honestly, I don't know why everyone thought Phillip Rivers was going to just make this team like playoff worthy because it's definitely not the case they just lost to Jacksonville which as much as I love Minshew like Jacksonville's not going to be a 500 team they're definitely going to have a losing record and you just lost to them and they lost Leonard Fournette they lost so many defensive pieces they're a very young young team and you have good coaching in Indy like that's a rough rough start to the season like there's no sugarcoating it then we also have like the receivers I will say Paris Campbell is already proving me wrong. I thought that Michael Pittman was going to be the clear two. Campbell was their lead receiver in terms of targets. He had nine, and he had six receptions for 71 yards. T.Y. Hilton also had nine targets, but he was a little bit less efficient. And then uh, Michael Pittman only had two targets. So, you know, I, I wasn't like supremely, supremely confident in the whole Campbell versus Pittman, but I thought that Pittman was going to be the number two, especially because of all the hype. I did buy into it. I should have just stuck with my guns because you guys know that Pittman was not somebody pre-draft that I that I really liked. I didn't think he was that great. I just loved the landing spot. So sometimes I think I get in a little bit too invested, and it is, it's definitely something I'm going to keep my eye on, a little bit too invested in landing spot 
over talent. I did not love the talent of Pittman. Maybe I should have st- stuck that route and not worried so much about the, the fact that he landed somewhere where I thought he was going to get a lot of targets, as did pretty much everyone else. So Paris Campbell, he's a decent uh, pickup along with Naheem Hines. And like I said, Minshew. And then lastly, LaVisca Chanel. LaVisca Chanel is going to be a good pickup. I, you know, stashed him on a lot of teams. I didn't actually talk about him too, too much on the podcast. Um, I'm realizing now, but LaVisca Chanel is, you know, somebody that was a good receiver. He had a good draft grade coming in. I liked him. He was like my wide receiver. I'm trying to think. I think it was like my wide receiver five or six coming into this season. And he landed in a spot where, you know, he has the opportunity to become the wide receiver two. He was the wide receiver two last week. Um, but honestly, it wasn't even behind DJ Chark. It was behind Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole was technically by stats their wide receiver one last year, but, uh, or I mean last week, but I'm not worried about Keelan Cole. LaVisca and DJ Chark are going to be their one and two throughout the season, I believe. So LaVisca Chanel is well, well worth a pickup. He had four targets. He had a touchdown. He also had a few carries. So I think they're going to use him in, in a good way. Sometimes those gadget guys don't work out, but I think in this case, they're going to use him properly. So I like LaVisca Chanel a lot. And that's basically my wrap up on this game. Next, we're going to move into the Carolina Raiders game. And as we do so, I just realized that we're 25 minutes in already. And we've only gone over what, three games now? Um, so yeah, only three games. So I'm going to pick up the pace because <laughs> there's a lot of games to go around. So I'm going to try and, you know, I guess I'm going to have to pull back on the analysis a little bit and kind of just hit you guys with the waiver pickups, stuff like that, situations to monitor, things that we found out. So going real quick through the Raiders game, look, Josh Jacobs is a beast. He got mad carries. He finally got some receiving work, six targets. That's what we've been hoping for. Henry Ruggs showed a lot of potential, three receptions off five targets, he had a really deep ball, a really big deep ball that went for 45 yards. Darren Waller was a, a good start in terms of targets. He just didn't pull in a touchdown. So that was a little disappointing. But Darren Waller is still a tight end I really like. Brian Edwards, the hype was way too much. He was another guy that I didn't really like as much as everyone else. I did stash him in a couple leagues because they named him the starter. And he, you know, with Tyra, Tyra Williams going down, he definitely has an opportunity. Still does. Um, but he didn't turn in on the opportunity. He only pulled in one target for one reception for nine yards. So Brian Edwards, the hype got way too much out of control. But that's what I got on the Raiders for you guys. And, you know, if you want to drop drop Brian Edwards for like a LaVisca Chanel or anybody that we're talking about today, I would do that for sure. I wouldn't feel too uh, too bad about it. Then for the Panthers, McCaffrey is still the dude. He's still the RB1. He had two touchdowns. That offense is going to get better than it was last week and they still put up or not really last week like two days ago um and they still put up 30 points and you know McCaffrey didn't get used much unfortunately in the receiving game Robbie Anderson surprised he pulled in a lot of targets eight six receptions 115 yards and a touchdown but it was a big 75 yard touchdown reception so you take that out and all of a sudden okay, Robbie Anderson was like, you know, five for 50. So I think that's more what you're going to expect from Robbie Anderson. So if you want to pick him up in a deep league, I'm completely down for that idea. But don't expect him to do anything near what he did this week because it was all off one big play. DJ Moore, you guys know how much I love him. He had nine targets, okay? And Teddy Bridgewater only threw the ball 34 times. Bridgewater's probably going to throw the ball around that or more every single week. So DJ Moore is going to be really consistent in targets. He has a chance to to be like a 150 target guy. The chance is there. 
And, you know, he just wasn't efficient on those targets. But that's something that's going to get better, too. So I'm not worried about DJ Moore. I still love him. If somebody's worried about him, go see if you can get him on a buy low because he's going to be really good. But my only waiver pickup from this game is Robbie Anderson, and that's in deep leagues. Then we can go ahead and move into the Cleveland game. So this was one of the games that had a situation to monitor that I talked about on Thursday, and it was the Hunt versus Chubb touches. How do they split touches? How does all that stuff work itself out? So here's the thing. Kareem Hunt, and I'm I'm happy it happened, honestly, because like I was arguing this all offseason, and for some reason, like the, the Nick Chubb truth, truthers just did not want to open their minds to it. Stefanski coming in, like people were saying, okay, Chubb got way more red zone touches. He dominated the red zone touches. He just wasn't efficient. He that's his efficiency efficiency is going to come up, and that's why Chubb's going to be really good. And Brandon, that's why you're wrong. That's why he's not going to be, you know, bad for his ADP price. That's why he's going to be an RB one because his efficiency is going to come up on all his touches. And my argument was like, yeah, okay, I agree. His efficiency is going to come up, but who's to say he's going to dominate the touches the same way with Stefanski? We have no idea how Stefanski is going to use Hunt and Chubb. Well, turns out Kareem Hunt was getting a lot of red zone touches, a lot more than what people wanted to, to think. And guess what? He also got 13 carries to Nick Chubb's 10. And you go to the receiving game, Kareem Hunt got six targets to Nick Chubb's one target. Uh-oh, uh-oh, Nick Chubb truthers, uh-oh. That's all I got to say to you guys, because I've been trying to tell you all offseason, Hunt is the receiving back there. He's the better receiver. What's better to have in the red zone? Somebody that's a really good runner only, or somebody who's a good runner and a good receiver and is a dual threat and makes the defense have to worry about another option that you guys can run in terms of plays. That guy, that's the guy you're going to have in on red zone. If you're a smart coach, Stefanski was putting Hunt in more than Chubb in the red zone. And some people are going to say, oh, game script, game script. The the Ravens were up. They were murdering the Browns. That's why Hunt was in the whole time. Okay, but once you're in the red zone, you're not really worried about the clock. You're like, you're in the red zone. You're already there. So you're going to put in your best player, whoever you think is going to help you the most. Hunt was the guy. So... I love Hunt as in flexes. I'm, you know, he's well worth the ADP that he was taken in like that fifth, sixth round area. So Hunt's going to be really good. It was a tough matchup. They didn't score any. Oh, they did have one touchdown. It was to David and Joku. Then they missed the extra point. Goodness gracious, Cleveland. Um, and honestly, there was like also some some questionable calls like going like doing a fake punt. Um, like, I don't know. Cleveland, I don't know what's going on. Baker Mayfield had 40 passes and completed 21 of them and only for less than 200 yards. He is um, really confusing to me because he was so good his rookie season. He really was. And I thought he was going to be really good coming into the NFL. For some reason, things aren't clicking for him. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a lack of work ethic. I'm not trying to come at you, bro, because I do love Mayfield uh, or I did. I, I still like him. But uh, I, I really don't know what's going on there. And I, I'm hoping it's going to get better through the season. Although Beckham had 10 targets and only three receptions. Um, I'm going to try to to get faster again. I, I'm starting to like talk too, too much on one game. But basically, my takeaways from this game, Chubb is going to be as bad as I thought he was going to be. And Hunt is going to be better than most people thought. And Hunt is probably the, the guy that's going to return on value. And then when it comes to the Ravens, look, Lamar is a beast, just like we thought. Mark Andrews is a beast, just like we thought. Um, 
Marquise Brown, some people are like, oh, maybe he is going to get utilized a lot more. Maybe he's going to be a lot more this year, how they said. He only had five receptions off six targets, which is an efficiency that he's not going to keep. And it was at 20 yards per clip. So, I mean, Marquise Brown is not going to be, you know, a, a wide receiver two or better, in my opinion. He had a great game. I applaud him for it. But, I mean, he only had 15 points here. And that was mad efficiency and they're not they're they're clearly good enough the ravens to to not have to throw much again this season. So, I expect Lamar to be the QB1 just as I thought he was going to be. And then we have Mark Ingram, JK Dobbins. That's the last thing to talk about. They basically split 50-50 just about and Dobbins was the one who got the touchdowns. He was also a little bit better than Ingram in terms of efficiency. So, Dobbins is is coming on a little bit faster than I thought. I'm not going to lie. Dobbins was somebody that I was fading this year. I was also fading Ingram, though, to be fair. I was fading that whole backfield because Lamar Jackson runs the ball so much. And I knew that these other running backs were going to split carries. So probably none of them are going to return on value. But Dobbins, two touchdowns is interesting. And, you know, he he did look pretty decent. So if they start shifting his way and kind of like leave Mark Ingram in the dust, then Dobbins could be pretty good. But I wouldn't overreact to that game because he only had seven carries and a 3.1 yard Per, uh, per carry average. So I wouldn't overreact too much. Then we have Atlanta versus Seattle. So when I was watching this game, I was, it's pretty funny. There were two, two moments where I was like, man, that guy just missed the layup. DK Metcalf was wide open on like a third down conversion for 20 yards, hit him right in the middle of both his hands, right in the midst. And he dropped it. And I was like, geez, dude, like that, that's equivalent to an NBA player missing a fast break layup like with nobody next to him. That that was just atrocious. And then Calvin Ridley does it. Calvin Ridley does it on a third down too, like towards the end of the game when the Falcons are trying to mount a comeback. And I was just like, wow, these guys, yikes. Like these drops are not okay. But with that said, Calvin Ridley, stud. Um, he is on pace to be a top 12 wide receiver right now, which is where I had him projected. He was my wide receiver 10. Um, so I love Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley is going to be good throughout the season. Julio is still Julio. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are also both really good. I like all of them. The The biggest takeaway for me from this game that was weird was the fact that Chris Carson was just dominating all over the place. I liked Carson and I thought he was a fine pick. I thought he was going to return on value this year, but I did not expect him to get used in the receiving game as much as he was. Six targets, six receptions, 45 yards, and two receiving touchdowns. That's insane. He actually only had six carries. So it was super weird, but Chris Carson was was doing great. They were using, most of his receptions were screens. It wasn't like he was running routes. They were just giving him a bunch of uh, screen plays. He was using his blockers very well. That's how he got his touchdown. And then his other his other receiving touchdown, one was off like a 20-yard screen. The other one is actually 19 yards. The other one was um, him just coming out of the backfield and running, like basically mirroring, mirroring Russell Wilson uh, to the corner of the end zone and then uh, Russ just flipped it like five yards forward right at the pylon to Chris Carson. So that's pretty, pretty promising because Carson only got six carries or seven carries and he's going to get more, obviously. And so I love Carson. You know, this is not like a buy or a sell high situation to me. He's going to be this good. Um, maybe he's not going to get two touchdowns every week, but I think he can give you a solid floor and a, a solid ceiling every week as long as he stays healthy. Then we got the Buffalo... Um, oh, actually, actually, I still have to talk about uh, Todd Gurley. I'm trying to move a little bit too fast. When we're talking about Todd Gurley, he had 14 attempts, four yards per carry. He did have a touchdown. 
Um, he was not used too much in the receiving game. He did get five targets, but he only turned out two receptions for one yard. So uh, um, I don't think there's much to say there. Um, Ido Smith and Brian Hill, two other running backs on their squad, were also used in the receiving game. Three targets and two targets. So, And they were more efficient. It's, it's possible that Gurley does not get used as much as we want him to. And Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage all turned in 12 targets for nine receptions and more than 100 yards. All three of them. Calvin Ridley got the touchdowns, which we always say is the problem with Julio Jones. And that's why I had Calvin Ridley you know, with more touchdowns on the season in my projections than Julio Jones. He's already got a two-touchdown uh, two advantage, two-touchdown lead on Julio. And Russell Gage, he was really good. Nine receptions, like I said, for 114 yards. They probably aren't going to have to pass the ball 54 times. Um, they're definitely not going to have to pass the ball 54 times because that's record-setting. But so, so, you know, Russell Gage is not going to be as good every week, but he's a decent pickup. I don't mind him as a waiver pickup in, in deep leagues at all. Hayden Hurst was only five targets, and that's something I was worried about. I had Hayden Hurst a little bit lower than most people. Not much lower. He was still in my top 12, but a little bit lower than everybody else because I was, you know, I, I realized the fact of how good Russell Gage was last year once Hooper went down, and why would they just completely erase him to give that same Hooper role to Hurst, especially if Hurst is new to the team? So Hurst is going to probably start slow. I would say, though, only 3.8 points in fantasy. He's definitely going to be better than that. If you want to, you know, shoot out a, a trade offer for Hurst and try him as a buy low, go for it. With that said, that will finish off that game for us. Let's move to Buffalo versus the Jets. Oh, man. Le'Veon Bell got hurt. That sucks because Le'Veon Bell was a value in all of the drafts, especially because of his receiving work and with, you know, Denzel Mims uh, being out and Brashad Perryman not being able to absorb much of the offense and get much reps in during the offseason. Like, it was all pointing to, you know, Bell having a good receiving season and returning on value. He just suffered a hamstring injury. I don't really know the status of it right now. Uh, maybe he's back, but if he's back, I'm not going to touch him because they're playing the, I think they're playing the 49ers. I actually, I'll have to check that, but I think they're playing the 49ers next week. And yeah, I'm not touching Bell. So when it comes to the Jets, Herndon was good. Crowder was good. Crowder broke like a 70 yard or 70 plus yard reception to the house, which really turned out uh, for his, you know, for his fantasy day. Crowder's going to dominate the targets, and he's somebody I like, but pretty much Crowder and Herndon are the only guys I'm touching there right now. I am getting worried on Bell because hamstring injuries will linger through the season, uh, so it sucks. I mean, it sucks. that That's somebody that I was high on. You guys know it, and I'm not afraid to talk about misses. I think Bell's going to end up being a miss. Um, the offensive line also was horrible, but they are going to get, you know, that's what I expected because they have three new starters. They're going to get better through the season, but when it comes to that that team, I'm really just looking at Crowder and Herndon, and that's about it. Then we have Buffalo. Josh Allen is the RB1, guys. Josh Allen is the RB1, much like I've stayed away from all the running backs on Baltimore because of the fact that, you know, Lamar runs the ball so much, and then the running backs are splitting whatever's left. It's the same situation, the same exact situation in Buffalo. Josh Allen ran the ball a whole bunch. He got, I believe, two rushing touchdowns. And Zach Moss and Devin Singletary pretty much, pretty much split work. And I do have to take a victory lap here. Um, it's a week one victory lap. I told you guys, John Brown, I told you he was a great DFS play. He was one of my starts of the week. John Brown had, I actually have the stat sheet 
loading right in front of me right now. He had 10 targets, six receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. And one of the big reasons I loved him in this game was not only because of the matchup versus the Jets, but the fact that Diggs had zero game reps, real game reps because of no preseason. And he had, obviously, he was just traded to Buffalo with Josh Allen. So I thought, you know, maybe Josh Allen goes to the guy that he's most comfortable with in this game, and that's John Brown. And that's what happened. John Brown out-targeted Diggs, and he had a better fantasy day. So I'm taking a victory lap on that because I did tweet that out word for word. I was like, would anybody be surprised if John Brown... Better than Stephon Diggs this week, because I know I wouldn't. And that's exactly what happened. John Brown returned in DFS. He was pretty good. He had a, what was it, 19-point day in fantasy for PPR. So I love John Brown. That worked out well. But with that said, he could be a sell high now, because that's not going to continue through the season. Diggs is obviously going to be their number one. I think it's just because, you know, he's building his chemistry with Diggs. And Diggs has actually had a good day, too. It's not like Diggs didn't have a good day. He was 8 for 9. For 86 yards he just didn't have a touchdown and was you know only averaging 10.8 per reception but that that's great considering the efficiency that he had almost 100 percent um on on catches so if you want to sell high on john brown and you can find a suitor for it i would go for it devin singletary was utilized more than zach moss in the receiving game even though zach moss is the better receiver so that should change over time but they didn't make the change right away so devin singletary still seems to be like their their number one running back there, Zach Moss did not have a good debut running the ball. He averaged just about one yard per carry. And all you people that were freaking out about Ronald Jones, um, Zach Moss is already halfway there in terms of Ronald Jones' rookie season. So if you're one of those people that freaked about, about Ronald Jones, then you should freak out about Zach Moss. I didn't, so I'm not freaking out about Zach Moss. But yeah, nine carries for 11 yards is not a good showing. Whereas Singletary had 30 yards on the same amount of carries. That's what I got for that team or that, that matchup, and then we're going to move over. You know, we're, we're starting to get, get somewhere. Minnesota, Green Bay. Justin Jefferson, his workload was something that we wanted to keep an eye on. It was one of our situations to monitor. Justin Jefferson did not get used much, and BC Johnson was the number two. And uh, sad face, Irv Smith, he didn't get used how we wanted. He only got, I think it was one target. Um, and, yeah, that that... Minnesota team honestly it's like Thielen and and Dalvin Cook just as most of us thought it would be some people had a lot of Justin Jefferson hope but with all the recent camp reports that were coming out I I kind of thought that it was clear to most people that Justin Jefferson was not going to have the biggest rookie season now obviously we're only one game in could he become the number two yes do I think he becomes the number two he very well what very well might sorry he very well might but he's not gonna you know have like a thousand yard seven eight touchdown rookie season with like 75 receptions I don't think that's in the cards for him also you know the Vikings are still trying to be that run first offense so you know Dalvin Cook is their offense basically and Thielen's going to be the number one receiver every week so that's what you got in Minnesota nothing surprising at all and then Green Bay they definitely surprised most people um Aaron Rodgers is a huge sell high right now please please trade Aaron Rodgers if you can. If somebody sees that game that Aaron Rodgers just put up and they're like, yo, Aaron Rodgers is back. He's so mad that they drafted Jordan Love and he's going to go off this year. Please trade that guy Aaron Rodgers because one, he threw the ball 44 times. That's not going to continue. Two, this was a huge, huge matchup for him. It was, you know, the fact, well, one, the fact that Minnesota had all of their starting corners from last year gone, and this is week one. So it's not like they have time to 
really develop any of their corners because a lot of their guys there are young now. And yeah, it was a perfect matchup in every way. Like they couldn't even cover Devontae Adams to save their life. 17 targets for 156 yards, two touchdowns. Devontae Adams dominated. And then some of you guys are looking at Alan Lazard's line. You know, oh, he had 18.2 fantasy points. Marquez Valdez-Scantling also had 19.6 fantasy points. Are you guys looking at MBS now too? Because a lot of people are wanting to get excited about Lazard because, you know, oh, we, we were so excited to see if he's going to be the wide receiver too, yada, yada, yada. And you see his fantasy points, you might think that's the case. But MVS did better than him and had more targets. So are you going to get on the MVS train? For me, I'm not getting on either because, like I said earlier, Rodgers passed the ball 44 times. He's probably going to be more around the 35 mark on the season. And that's going to really hurt MVS and Lazard. They were both also had a perfect matchup like we were just talking about versus Minnesota secondary that's completely depleted. And Devontae Adams showed he's really just, he's the main guy there. You know, he got 17 targets way more than anyone else. And on a regular day when Aaron Rodgers is not throwing the ball that much, which is, you know, how most games are probably going to be, Devontae Adams is going to be the only one getting a significant amount of targets. So if you want to take Lazard, you, you know, I understand it. I don't blame you, but I really don't think four targets in a game where Rodgers was throwing the ball like that a lot and they had basically nobody defending them because the corners were not doing much of anything. Uh, I don't think that's a, a good a good way to look at Lazard. And now it's starting to rain because, you know, Florida. I don't know if you guys can hear it in the background, but I'm just going to continue through the podcast because th- that's what we do. We just we just got to got to go through it. So that's that's my thoughts on uh, Minnesota Green Bay. Basically uh, nothing substantial other than the fact that Aaron Rodgers is a sell high oh and um another victory lap because I did tweet out Aaron Rodgers despite me being low on him on the season was a great start this week for DFS and just if you had to make a start to sit decision and that worked out well so three victory laps this week hopefully we can get four victory laps next week we'll see um it also depends on how much I tweet out Uh, I didn't really do too much like week one tweeting this week it was more I was more focused on um I don't even know what I was focused on but I wasn't really focused on DFS that much this week um I was in the podcast but not so much on Twitter but yeah follow my Twitter if you guys don't already if you guys are from Instagram then go check out the Twitter because that's where you're going to find the most substantial amount of info it's a lot easier to be active and productive on Twitter than it is on Instagram and then we got the Philly Washington game oh my goodness yikes was that Yikes. I mean, that's all I got to say, honestly. Washington won. <laughs> Washington freaking won. Wow. That was like, geez. Like, I, I knew Philly was hurting, but I didn't know they were hurting that bad. And I knew Washington had a good D-line. Well, let me tell you something. Their D-line is as good in real life as it is on paper. Chase Young, whoo, he's set to be a, a bad man in the NFL. I'll tell you that. And, um, Philly, the only really real takeaways for me was um, that Zach Ertz is in trouble. Zach Ertz, if you can find somebody that thinks, you know, his, like they see that he got a touchdown and that he had like 10 points or whatever, and you want to dish Zach Ertz, go for it. If you can get anything good for him, because Zach Ertz, I was super worried about him coming to the season. And then I kind of soured on it. And I, I went back to the side of, you know, I think Ertz is going to be good because Alshon was out and Jalen Rager got hurt. And then Miles Sanders was hurt. So I was like, Zach Ertz is going to like dominate their targets. He didn't. He didn't. News alert. Dallas Goddard did. And um, Dallas Goddard's also more efficient. So 
I mean, the writing might be on the wall for Ertz, especially the last thing is that he's having contract tension right now with the team. And if that's the case, maybe they're going to trade him. Who knows? Um, that could actually be better for his fantasy value. But with Sanders and Jeffrey and Rager getting healthier and all that stuff bound to happen, Ertz is really going to struggle in my opinion. So he's somebody I'm trying to stay away from and get off my rosters if I can. Um, but obviously, don't don't overreact. Don't trade him for nothing, right? You got to get something good out of it. Otherwise, just hold him and hope for the best or hope for a trade. But that's what is basically the main takeaway from that game. And also that the Eagles, they need Miles Sanders. The running backs didn't do anything. Clement and Scott, I mean, neither of them did anything for fantasy. Neither of them helped their team at all in that game versus Washington. And then on Washington side of the ball, Antonio Gibson, despite not leading that team in carries and workload and whatnot, Antonio Gibson is the guy to own there in that backfield. He was clearly the, the best running back on the field in that whole game, not just for Washington. He was clearly the best one on the field. He did get a couple targets. Hopefully that, that you know gets better and he starts getting more than that. But Gibson, his work is going to come. Okay, you just got to be patient with him. He's a rookie running back. We see this every year. Nick Chubb started slow. Alvin Kamara started slow. Miles Sanders last year started slow. So many people, especially rookies, will start slow. And I expected pretty much all the rookies to start slow this week, except for Clyde. And that's how it turned out. So I, I wasn't surprised in any way. And Gibson is a, a stronghold for me. And then lastly, Logan Thomas, go ahead and pick him up if you need tight end help. Because he got some good work. He actually had one of the highest target shares among tight ends on the week. He had eight targets off of only 31 pass attempts. So he was at like a 27% target share clip. Now, obviously, one game is a, a ridiculous sample size to use for a target share, but it's just something of note. Peyton Barber did lead that backfield with 17 carries to Gibson's nine, but he only averaged 1.7 yards per carry. Gibson averaged more than double that. Barber did end up with the two touchdowns. I doubt that's going to continue. I'm sure that's going to start going Gibson's way. So Gibson I like. And then lastly, Steven Sims is somebody a lot of us liked as a sleeper. He only got three targets. Um, maybe it was just the, you know, the matchup. Maybe it was just the, the flow of the game. Maybe that changes. But if we don't see Sims produce a little bit more next week, then Sims is going to be an easy drop for me. And with that said, I mean, that's pretty much what we got in that game. We can go ahead and move forward to Chicago and Detroit. So when we're looking at that game, Kenny Galladay was out. We know that Mitch Trubisky has performed in all of his games fantasy-wise versus Detroit. He did so again. So he was a good a good start if you guys started him in DFS because of that fact. Montgomery, he looked a little bit better. That offensive line also looked a little bit better in, in terms of the Bears I'm obviously talking about. Tariq Cohen didn't have too great of a day. He only had seven carries and not really much in terms of the uh, receiving game. Only two targets, which is pretty disappointing. Anthony Miller did have a good day, but it was off the back of a touchdown. Otherwise, he would have just had four for, you know, some change, four receptions for like 50 yards without the touchdown pass. And I don't think Trubisky is going to be nearly as good versus other teams as he was this week. So Allen Robinson is really the only bear I feel comfortable with right now. And Montgomery, okay, I'll, I'll restate that. Allen Robinson is the only bear I'm excited about right now. And then Trubisky, I mean, I doubt anybody's going to think he's going to be good for the season. So he's not going to be good trade bait or anything. So honestly, after this game, I was just streaming Trubisky. If I was going to have him on any roster for this game, you can drop him now. And 
you know, not worry about him because he's not going to be fantasy relevant in my opinion. He might have like one or two games on the season, but over the course of the season, he's not going to be somebody you're going to want on your lineup. So Allen Robinson is the only guy I'm excited about. I'm okay with David Montgomery. Hopefully, you know, they run the ball more. He only got 13 attempts. Obviously, he didn't get any touchdowns. So he could be better, um, but he's not somebody I'm too excited about either. Then in terms of the Lions, it's important to note that uh, Marvin Jones didn't do much with Kenny Galladay gone. And I didn't really expect him to be the beneficiary of it because when Kenny Galladay last year was out, Marvin Jones didn't get better for fantasy. If anything, it pushes the best corner to Marvin Jones's way. So even if he got more targets, he would be less efficient. So Marvin Jones only had four receptions, 55 yards. It wasn't horrible if you started him, but it wasn't great. You weren't happy with it. He continues to be somebody that's not consistent. Um, the main guy that I thought was going to benefit from Galladay, he did have a really good day, but it wasn't because of Galladay being out. So technically I was wrong, was TJ Hawkinson. I thought he you know, had a path to like eight to 10 targets this week because Galladay being out, he only pulled in five, but he did catch all of them for 60 yards and a touchdown. So he had, you know, a 16.6 fantasy day in PPR. So that was good. And the, the guy who benefited and it's cool, but I wish he did better with it was Quintus Cephas. He's somebody that you guys have known. I've talked about as a good dynasty sleeper um, to take at the end of drafts or in rookie drafts because of the fact that Marvin Jones next year is a free agent, Danny Amendola next year is a free agent, Kenny Galladay next year is a free agent, all that, that Quintez Cephas, you know, it could be him, Hawkinson, and Galladay, because obviously they're going to resign Galladay as the big three next year. But he had 10 targets and he didn't produce much with them. It is his, you know, rookie debut, so I'm not too worried about it, but it would have been nice to see him have like a breakout, you know, with that opportunity of 10 targets. So I was a little disappointed there. And then lastly, we have to talk about the running backs. The DeAndre Swift people, that continuously on Twitter came back clapping at me saying, man, you think Adrian Peterson is going to hurt Swift? You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Really? Because Adrian Peterson ran for 100 yards this week with 15 carries to DeAndre Swift's three. So you guys want to take that clap and uh, I, I don't even, that, that doesn't even make sense. But basically all I'm trying to say is the people that were coming at me for Swift back off because obviously like... Obviously, Peterson's going to get a role. They're not going to sign Peterson. And we know it's Matt Patricia. Like, look, I'm not saying anything against Swift. He was my favorite rookie running back pre-draft before landing spots or anything. But he landed in a horrible spot because Carrion is there. And now, now Adrian Peterson is there. And apparently, Adrian Peterson is their lead running back. And he actually looks really good, too, which doesn't help at all. His first carry went for 21 yards. And then the rest of the time, he still averaged, well, Let's see what if you take that carry out, he still averaged like 4.8 yards per carry. So he was good all game and they they have no reason to not give him the ball. It's Matt Patricia. Like he gave the ball how many times to Garrett Blunt over Carrion Johnson when Carrion Johnson was twice as efficient as Blunt and Blunt was their lead back for like six weeks. It's ridiculous. So look, it's nothing against Swift, I promise, but he's not going to get the workload that you want him to get. It's plain and simple. It's cut and dry. So... If you have Swift, don't have high hopes because it's going to take a while, if at all, for him to be fantasy relevant this year. With that said, a game that is so close to my heart because, you know, it's it's my team in terms of not, not Tampa Bay. We're going to get to them later. I'm saving them for last. But in terms of, you know, a team that is near and dear to my heart in fantasy this year, the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Chargers, also a team that I, I have a lot of shares in. Let's talk about that game. So that was really close. I was 
whew, we had a scare because if you guys are following along with me and my survivor picks, my survivor pick this week was the Chargers versus Cincy. And we survived, but it was by the skin on our teeth. I'll tell you that much. Um, since he had a drive at the end of the game, Joe Burrow actually looked really good. Um, he took them all the way down the field in a two-minute drill, only for their kicker to miss the game-tying field goal to send them into overtime. And the Chargers pulled it out. So it was a scary first week for the survivor pool, but I'll tell you what, if you stayed with me and you took the Chargers, you didn't get eliminated. And I know a lot of people got eliminated this week because the 49ers, a lot of people picked them versus the Cardinals. They lost. A lot of people picked the Eagles. They lost. Um, I mean, what other games were there that were like surprise losses? Let's see. Um, just running through it real quick. I would say that's about it in terms of like the surprise. Oh, the other one was Indy. A lot of people picked Indy versus Jacksonville and they lost. So yeah, a lot of people got eliminated this week actually in the survivor pool. We survived and we got a, a tough team out the way. That was the whole point. Remember I told you guys I like getting the tough teams out the way early so I can, you know, save the guys like Ravens and Chiefs, you know, save the teams that are good towards the end so I, I can, you know, finish strong. So we're good. We survived. I'll let you guys know on Thursday who my survivor pick is on Thursday's episode. But going to this game, Joe Burrow looked good. He showed the legs that I've been telling you guys he has. He ran for almost, what, 50 yards, I think. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. He ran for, yes, 46 yards. So just about 50 yards. Ran in a nice touchdown that was 23 yards. Um, he was patient behind a blocker. He kind of directed him with his hand. Actually, he had his hand on his back, directed him, and then continued running another 10 yards, avoided a, a tackle or two, like weeds through people, and got to touchdown. Joe Burrow, he's not the most athletic guy. He's not the prettiest guy, like Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson running the ball, but he knows how to run the ball. I'll tell you that much. So I'm happy because he showed the floor that I believe he has. He also threw the ball a lot, 36 times. Not Actually, it's not too much. He's probably going to throw like that as a minimum from week to week. And I'm really excited for this Thursday game because it's going to be perfect for us to be able to watch every single snap of Joe Burrow. And we also get to watch the Bengals, or I mean the the Browns, because, you know, they have that, that interdivisional matchup between the Bengals and Browns on Thursday. So with that said, my buy lows from this game, Tyler Boyd and Joe Burrow, easily. Joe Burrow only had 17.3 points and... It's going to get much better. I mean, the Chargers were a really rough matchup. That's why I told you guys, sit Tyler Boyd. And if you can, sit Joe Burrow. Because I knew it was going to be a rough matchup. And Joe Burrow still produced in this matchup. And Tyler Boyd, he wasn't involved pretty much. I'm not even going to lie. I was like super surprised. He was pretty much not involved at all until the end of the game. But he got involved when it mattered. And when it was clutch time, who was Joe Burrow throwing the ball to? Tyler Boyd. Tyler freaking Boyd, my guy. Five targets, four receptions, all in the end of the game. During clutch time, he was pulling in. You know, he was con- he converted like two super clutch third downs in the fourth quarter that they needed to- that they needed to keep drives going. And I'm not worried about Boyd at all. He also had a really tough matchup with Chris Harris. That was the reason I told you guys to sit him. Chris Harris is probably the slot, the best slot corner, the best slot defender in the NFL. And if not, he's one of the top three, top five for sure. So it was a super tough matchup for Boyd. And, you know, Boyd wasn't horrible. He he pulled in four, four catches for 33 yards. That's only going to get better because he's going to get more than five targets, I promise you. So Tyler Boyd is an easy buy low for me. If you could flip like a Will Fuller for a Tyler Boyd, I would do that in a heartbeat. Because, look, if they both, if you guarantee me health on Will Fuller, 
then Will Fuller might be better, might be better than Tyler Boyd. But I'm not taking that risk. You know, he has the injury risk. You can't guarantee health for Will Fuller. So yeah, if you could flip like him for Tyler Boyd, do that in a heartbeat. And then I'm not worried about Eckler, you know, just a couple of notes on the Chargers. I was I was disappointed, I'm not going to lie. I kind of missed on Ty- Tyrod this week. I told you guys he was going to be a really good starter for DFS. I put him in my main DFS lineup, like my biggest one. It kind of hurt me. Uh, I had him and Eckler. I stacked them, actually, and uh, that did not work out at all. Eckler did not get used in the receiving game for some reason, but I'm not worried about it. I, I think he's going to get used used in the receiving game. There's actually a good thing from this game, and that's the fact that Eckler got 19 carries. 19 carries. And that's good. And Josh Kelly also got 12 carries. I think we can clearly see, for anybody that was holding on to Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly ended up being the RB2 there, not Justin Jackson. So I think you can go ahead and let Justin Jackson go. You can cut him if you you want to pick up any guys that we've talked about today. Joshua Kelly's the RB2 behind Eckler. And he actually was the one who got the touchdown um, instead of Eckler. But I'm not worried about that. Eckler, the touchdowns will come, the receptions will come, and he will be just fine. With that said, I'm still hold, holding Tyrod Taylor. Eckler is not somebody I'm worried about. And um, yeah, we'll see what, what the Chargers are able to do next week. Hopefully Tyrod can bounce back. If not, I would start getting worried that that was just a, a huge miss for me this year. But like I talked about, it's fine if it ended up being a miss because you got him for basically nothing. So with that said, we got three games left. Let's run through them because we're at an hour now. Arizona-San Fran. The main takeaways from this game. Mostert was just as good as we thought he was going to be this week. He was a great DFS play. He's the clear, clear running back leader in that room. He outtouched everyone by far. DeAndre Hopkins, we you know had to look at his target share. How was his targets going to be? Turned out being great. He got 16 targets and 14 receptions off those 16 targets. So not only was he mad, like way over targeted, but he was also super efficient with those targets, despite it being his first game with Kyler Murray ever. So I'm feeling pretty good about my projection as Hopkins as wide receiver four on the season right now. Um, I know I had him, you know, higher than other people did. I was betting on the talent. Uh, I'm not going to lie. That's that's exactly what it was. I knew that, you know, Arizona had Kirk and Fitzgerald and they run a lot of four wide receiver sets. And Hopkins is coming from Houston where he was like at a 33% target share, yada, yada, yada. But like you guys have heard me say before, if Kirk was able to get a 25% target share, I I would bet on the talent of Hopkins being able to get more than that. And he did. He got way more than that. Um, I'm actually going to pull up Kyler Murray's attempts right now and tell you exactly what his target share was. It was Kyler threw the ball 40 times and Hopkins got 16 targets. So it it was like 40% target share. So obviously that's going to go down. But the one takeaway is that DeAndre Hopkins is a locked and loaded wide receiver one this year. Not the wide receiver one, a wide receiver one. And Kenyon Drake also is the main running back there. He outtouched all the running backs by far. 16 carries to Chase Edmonds, six. And in the receiving game, Edmonds was used a little bit more, but that's all right. It wasn't, you know, a huge discrepancy between him and Drake. And with that said, that's basically all, all we got on that game. It was pretty cut and dry. Kyler Murray is a bona fide top three quarterback and he has that potential for you know being the top quarterback because he just carved up the 49ers and last year he carved up the 49ers he had 23 points in one game 27 in another last year and this year he had 27 so he he's a beast I mean if you I actually just tweeted out 
a video of his rushing touchdown, which is sick. So if you didn't see it, go look at that. That's the kind of stuff that you're getting with Kyler Murray in terms of upside. And now he has a amazing wide receiver to throw the ball to. Christian Kirk only pulled in one target. Um, I know a lot of you guys are probably worried about it. It was actually, oh, sorry, one reception, not one target. He pulled in one reception off five targets. And um, you guys might be worried about him. But like I said, DeAndre Hopkins is not going to get 40% target share. He's probably going to go down to like around 30%. So in most games, Kirk is going to get more targets than he did. And he'll be more efficient than one reception off five targets. So I'm not too worried about Kirk. He's a hold for me. And that brings us to the Rams game. Sunday night, last night, one of the the things that we were watching was Cam Akers' workload. You know, how was he going to get touches compared to Malcolm Brown? And how involved was Darrell Henderson going to be? There's a lot of questions there. When it comes to Cam Akers, he actually got a a pretty good workload. Unfortunately, he didn't do much with it. Um, He got 14 carries to Malcolm Brown's 18. So they ran the ball a lot, a lot more than they're going to be able to in most games. The touchdowns fell Malcolm Brown's way. Malcolm Brown also was more efficient. But I believe in the town of Cam Akers, um, the the, the Dallas defense has a really good D-line. So... I'm really not too worried about Akers. He's going to be a hold for me, just like a lot of rookie running backs we were talking about earlier. They're, they're, they're going to start slow. You know, Miles Sanders did it. We were already talking about plenty of examples, and we see it every year. Cam Akers is somebody that I think will take over that backfield at some point. They invested a second-round pick in him. Malcolm Brown is, you know, not an investment at all to that team. So unless Malcolm Brown is just like way, way better than Cam Akers, which is not the case, at least I don't think that's the case, then I'm not worried about Cam Akers over the long term. Then we have Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby. One of the biggest discussions, one of the biggest debates this offseason was Higby and Cooper Cup. You guys know me. You guys know I was on the Tyler Higby side and I was, you know, on the opposite of the Cooper Cup side. Turns out, if you know this game was any indication, it's right down the middle because Cooper Cup only turned in eight fantasy points and Tyler Higby turned in seven. So they both affect each other. They both run similar areas of the field. The main guy to own here is Robert Woods. And that's cool. That's cool with me because if you guys remember, one of the questions somebody asked me was, gun to your head, who are you taking, Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? And I said Woods. Um, hopefully that, that turns out, but it looks like it's going to, because Woods led them in targets. He led them in receptions and he massively led that team in yards and they got him involved right away. Right when the game started, they threw him two screens. Um, and I think like on the next drive, they threw him another screen and all of them were very good. He uses his blockers well, and the Rams were, you know, executing everything very well. And they were able to pull that game out versus Dallas, who many people think is, you know, the more talented team. And I would agree with that sentiment. So the coaching was good from Sean McVay. And Woods is the guy to own there. With that said, that brings us to our last game. Tampa Bay versus New Orleans. Saving, you know, my boys, the Buccaneers, for last. It was a disappointing game, to say the least. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect us to get the win. I didn't expect the Bucks to beat the Saints. Because it was week one. Tom Brady is in a new system. He's got, you know, a whole team that he's never played with. We have an offensive line with a, a rookie on it who I was worried about versus Cam Jordan, but he actually played pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Justin Wirfs was not the weak link on the offensive line. It was Donovan Smith. But let's talk about some of the things for fantasy that is super relevant. Gronk versus OJ Howard. It seems to me that, and I'm really happy with the decision, actually, um, that Gronk is being used more as a blocker. And, you know, maybe they're they're trying to just save him for 
the playoffs, the hopeful playoffs that we are going to get to. Um, so Gronk was used much more as a blocker helping out the offensive line, and O.J. Howard was the receiving tight end. That's probably going to continue. And then Ronald Jones versus Leonard Fournette. Ronald Jones out-touched Leonard Fournette. He got more yards per touch than Leonard Fournette. I've been telling you guys, Ronald Jones put in mad work this offseason. He's going to be way better than everyone thinks, and he was. I mean, plain and simple, he was. Fournette was good, too. I, I like the depth addition for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here, let me give you some numbers on, you know, the running backs. Ronald Jones had 17 carries to Leonard Fournette's five. Leonard Fournette had five yards off the five carries. Ronald Jones off 17 carries had 66 yards at four yards per carry. And then in the receiving game for the, for the running backs, um, Ronald Jones had three targets, two receptions, two Leonard Fournette's one target and one reception. Neither of them had touchdowns. LaShawn McCoy also had one target. Um, he didn't have a touchdown either. He didn't get used for any carries. And it was basically the Ronald Jones show. And he performed well versus the Saints defense. So I think he's going to keep doing so. I think he's going to be the lead back through the season. Because if he was able to perform well versus the Saints defense, which is one of the best run defenses in the league, then I think it's going to continue. So I really like Ronald Jones moving forward. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think I bumped him down too much when Leonard Fournette was signed. I should have stuck to my guns, but I was a little bit scared off because, I mean, they signed Leonard Fournette. So, like, obviously he's going to take some carries. But 17-5, to 5, I-, I was surprised. It's probably going to get, you know, a little bit more even over the season just because it was week one and, and Leonard Fournette's been with the Bucks less than a week. So he-, he can't know nearly as much of the playbook. So maybe he gets more carries. And it's more like instead of Rojo getting 17 to Fournette's five, maybe it's more of a, a 12 a twelve to you know 10 split, which is fine by me because it's going to be good offense and we're going to produce more on the ground than we did this week versus the Saints. And then what about the receiving game? Scotty Miller, look, if you want to pick him up in deep leagues, go for it. But I'm not too worried about uh, the performance of Godwin or Mike Evans or anything because Mike Evans, one, had Marshawn Lattimore on him. Two, was dealing with a hamstring injury. And by the way, if Mike Evans is worrying whatever owner has him in your league, go get Mike Evans. Because I'll tell you this, he had a much bigger impact on the game than the stat sheet would suggest. Because you look at the stat sheet, oh my goodness, he had a touchdown, yeah, but it was one. It was his only reception of the game and it was only for two yards. Ah, Mike Evans, like he's going to be so bad. No, he's not. Trust me. He pulled in like 70 yards of pass interferences total on Marshawn Lattimore. So he was... he he you know, could have done much better if basically if Lattimore wasn't just fouling the crap out of him. So I'm not worried about Mike Evans. Plus his hamstrings are going to get better. So he's going to get more targets because of that. Scotty Miller is the fourth option on the offense behind Godwin, Evans, and OJ Howard. So I'm not too invested in Scotty, but if you want to take him in a super deep league, go for it. Then let's talk about the Saints. But, you know, other than the fact that Michael Thomas is going to have a huge bounce back, obviously, I mean, the Bucks. let's go. We shut him down. But uh, we still lost, so you can't really celebrate it. But Michael Thomas, uh, he's going to you know bounce back. He's going to be much better for the rest of the season. I'm not worried about him. The one takeaway from this game for me was actually two takeaways. Kamara is a beast. He's fully healthy now, and he looks better than ever, one. And then two, the Bucks defense is still going to be really good versus running backs because despite the fact that Kamara was so good, it was off the receptions, not off the running. Camaro averaged 1.3 yards per carry, 12 rushes for 16 yards. 
And he did get a touchdown out of that, but obviously it wasn't a long run. He was, you know, super inefficient in the running game. So the Bucks defense are going to be tough for running backs. Just keep that in mind when you're making start decisions, uh, start sit decisions for the rest of the season. And lastly, Emmanuel Sanders did not pull in as much work as I was expecting. I thought he was going to get used more. Five targets, three receptions, 15 yards. He did have a touchdown, but uh, I thought he was going to be used more. So I'm not really too excited on Emmanuel Sanders. I thought he could be like a, a decent flex throughout the season. It turns out that Jared Cook might be their next best target after Michael Thomas and Kamara instead of Emmanuel Sanders. So that's something to keep an eye on. But with that said, that wraps up this week. Thank you guys for tuning into the podcast. Remember, Drop a rating or review if you like it. Reach out to a friend. It helps me out. If each one of you guys just reached out to one person, it doubles my listeners. So, you know, help me out. I'll continue pumping out the content for you guys. Be sure to listen in on Thursday for a whole bunch of information. You know, buy lows, people to, to target in trades, best defenses to stream, best starts of the week, sits of the week. And I'll also give you guys the recap on the Monday night games today. So with that said, that's all I got for you guys today. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor. Peace.